Hello and welcome to the Poetry Exchange. I'm Fiona Bennett. And I'm Michael Schaefer. Nice to be with you, Fee. Oh, it's great to be back. It's great to be with you, as much as we are with each other, as it were. <laughs> it's just um, the I'm... distance and the transport now for us, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been getting out and about in my van, so, you know, the, the transport is, is becoming more possible for you. Ah, that's what we need. It's got a new exhaust on it. It's running like a dream. Mmm. In fact, last time I saw you, you were in a field. <laughs> this is true. I wasn't, but you were. <laughs> that's, that's the weird thing. Now, Fee, um, in, in our last month's episode, we announced the competition to win uh, a rather beautiful print made by uh, our friends at Doozy's studio. And it was of, uh, it related to the uh, episode about prayer, the Carol Ann Duffy poem that was brought to us by Tricia. And we asked people to let us know what their favourite poetry exchange episode had been of the nearly 50 that we've had so far and why. And we've had a terrific response. We've had people getting in touch with us from all over the world, from New Zealand and Portugal, uh, as well as Britain. Um, and uh, were there any uh, in particular that, that caught your eye, Faye? Yeah, well, it was just uh, lovely that somebody uh, said that their most favourite episode was Then or Now, which, as you know, is, if you like, an unusual episode for us because it's mm. um, a slightly longer piece and comes from our collaboration with Ballet Black. Anyway, they said my most favourite episode was Then or Now. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to it daily for at least the first week. I like that you do the podcast monthly. It keeps me checking and waiting for the next one. In this instant, oh. and then this is great, in this instant and disposable world, I get to feel a little jump for joy when I see another episode posted. Oh, how lovely. That's that really nice. nice, thank you. It reminds yeah. me, Fee, of when you and I were first talking about making this project and this turning it into a podcast mm. uh, and, and just an awareness that um, what we were sort of looking to create was a kind of quite a quiet, reflective space. You know, you, you kind of have to take a little bit of time out. I know some people listen to it while they're running, um, but it, it, it does kind of take you somewhere else a little bit. It's, um, yeah, maybe just a more reflective space, perhaps. Mm. Having said that, Michael, our very committed, one of our very, well, both of our new trustees are very committed, but I'd just like to report to you that one of them sent me a message late the other night saying... I really wanted to listen today and the only way was to do it whilst cleaning the kitchen and being introduced to my daughter's new boyfriend. So <laughs> that was a that was a that was a that was a, a less focused opportunity to listen, but nonetheless they managed it. Well that's so, some serious yeah. multitasking. Yeah. I know, that's great. I know. Well that's um without further ado, we should announce uh that the the winner of this beautiful print is Kevin Taplin from Norfolk. Kevin will be uh, sending this print on to you. Kevin's favourite episode is Turns by Tony Harrison, a poem that's a friend to Maxine Peake. You can listen to that one that's in our archive. He says, It became a conduit back to a hard yet rosy world where integrity was more of a cornerstone than it appears today. Uh, thanks so much, Kevin. Thanks to everyone that's entered. Congratulations. I really enjoyed that, Fee. I think we should do more of that. 
So as I was thinking, Michael, about um, being with you today, we've got a, another great conversation coming up. Very different poet, very different story to our last episode. But there is actually a, a connection that just struck me as I was thinking about coming on to the, the call to talk to you. And our last episode with Stephen Beresford speaking about vers de société and all oh, that conundrum of whether you can be alone or whether you should go out to the party that you've been invited to, which oh, it's, it's just such a perennial issue for us all, isn't it? And it's sort of been foregrounded a bit by the coronavirus situation where, in a sense, we've been denied that as a choice and now it's kind of coming back on as a choice, but it's got all these restrictions. Anyway, that was all fascinating. And this month's episode features a poem by Emily Dickinson, who was well known as a as a recluse, but who for whom also I think, you know, it was very much a condition of the genius that came out of that, that quiet, a very fiery spirit, but a kind of, yeah, the quiet space of being less social. So yeah, just interesting, all these, these poem, poets and poems and writers and questions of whether we should be socialising or taking our time alone. How are you with that, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was in my van for 10 days on my own and I did quite enjoy it, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah. I need both, you know. I need both yeah. at different times. Sure. So you'll be listening to myself and Fiona talking about Hope is the Thing with Feathers by Emily Dickinson, the poem that's been a friend to Lucy. So, Lucy, would you just give it a, a read aloud for us? Yeah, I'll give it a go. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. When did you come across this poem, Lucy? Oh, well, and actually, the reason I chose this particular, you can see my eyes are welling up slightly, it's terrible. Mm. <sighs> so I'll explain why I'm getting a bit emotional. So, so I studied um, up in Sheffield, I studied American studies. And that's when I first came across a whole range of American poets. And the one that really spoke to me as a 20 year old who'd previously been really into the Brontes and that kind of thing was, was Emily Dickinson. Her whole way of writing just really stayed with me after that. Um, and over the years, I kind of lost touch with my poetry for the most part. So I was working very, very long hours in the city and was focused on surviving mostly. And then the poem came back to me as one of the things that really helped me when I was diagnosed with cancer. And anyone who's been in the situation I was in would, would probably say the same thing, that it's 
um, any port in the storm. So you, you find you find out during the process of treatment what works for you and what doesn't. And I found actually I kept a journal. This is what I was trying. This was my journal when I was trying to use my words to write down my feelings about the chemotherapy and um, and my words had deserted me, completely deserted me. I wrote four pages in all the time that I was in active treatment. I could speak, but I didn't have a means of articulating what it was I was going through. This poem and a few others were hugely important to me because I could read them and feel like somebody got me. Sorry, I am a little bit emotional no, about it. It's fine. And um, yeah, I'm somebody who I read a poem and it's very emotional and I, it either elicits a response from me straight away or it doesn't. Yeah. And this was one that I remembered from my university days and yeah, it became really precious to me during the six months of going through what I had to go through. Lucy, thank you so much for sharing that with us there's an irony in what I'm about to say which is that you've just been so incredibly articulate and eloquent and clear about that experience so I can imagine also thinking as you've mentioned that you're a lawyer that language is something you usually feel very in command of um, it must have been very frightening to not be able to find that especially at a time when you're kind of wanting and needing it yeah, thank you. That, I mean, that's that's right. And the best thing I can liken it to when you're going through that is really being in a fog. And anyone that's had a newborn baby would probably recognise the fog. It's quite similar. And it took quite a long time for the fog to lift. And when you're in the fog, you can't think of the word. And you sit there going like this, clicking your fingers, going, oh, God. <laughs> Just literally the words have gone. And um, you're right that because I'd spent, you know, the best part of two decades and then literature and history were my real passions as a young student. And all of that had led me to want to express myself and not be able to. I feel, very, yeah, very kind of almost shaken with the, with the story because I've, we've heard from many people, obviously, stories of poems and the part they've played in their lives and stuff. But I'm not sure I've ever heard anybody recount the way the the poem has literally given them words when they've been unable to access language. Isn't it funny that it's an Emily Dickinson poem? Because that's why I loved the Brontes when I was growing up as well, because these slightly eccentric, independent women who didn't quite do what they were expected to do Lucy, tell me a bit about Emily Dickinson, because I don't know all that much about her. So, well, she was writing around the middle of the 19th century. So around the same time as the Brontes, that sort of generation. And she lived in a, a kind of quite an academic world. And um, she wasn't given the recognition in her lifetime that she probably ought to have had. She was published, I think this is right, only after, a couple of years after she'd died. And I find it quite amazing that something 
that I first got to know when I was 20, I'm more than double that now. And it still resonates with me today for completely different reasons. Can you say a bit about what it did for you at 20? I suppose as a 20-year-old, I was looking for something that I personally connected with. And um, this poem, Hope is the Thing with Feathers, it, I think that's what I responded to was the positivity and the feeling that you've got all your future ahead of you and to hang on to that with not quite knowing what it is. And then obviously when I was older and I'd followed a particular career track, so I'd been a very conventional lawyer and what gone through and made it all the way up to partnership in the city. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Uh, the perspective that I then had when I got sick and then and then came back to my poetry and to this poem in particular, I was still finding that kind of kernel, that nugget of hope within it. I mean, I know the, the word is in the title, but it's the way that she describes that feeling of being hopeful and still not necessarily says things that you without the words. So you don't necessarily have a clue what you're doing. Maybe you're in completely foreign territory and trying just to figure things out as you go. But that doesn't mean you give up hope. And I think as an older woman, I, I noticed the struggle in it. And I noticed the almost the violence or the extremity of some of the language. And this little bird kind of, wobbling along and sort of trying to figure out how to survive the storm and and that to me speaks in a very different way I, I didn't have a clue about any of that when I was 20. I, lo I love that image sings the tune without the words I, I, I think that's brilliant actually. It's such a brilliant image isn't it the bird as you say I always think when you see birds flying especially in the wind I, I just think, how is that tiny little thing is holding a course in all this buffeting, you know? And isn't it brilliant that she doesn't call it Hope is a Little Bird? Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. She doesn't say immediately, oh, it's just a bird and here's my metaphor. She, she gives it this persona, but actually, you know, it could be anything it could be an angel you know there's all sorts of things but the thing is a very you know it's a word you sort of think of a thing from the swamp or that is slightly sinister and it perches in the soul so it's just this kind of thing that's lurking inside you and you can't do anything about it and it's got feathers so that's not necessarily the most comfortable image to start with no. so actually maybe that's you know, at the beginning, you're not meant to feel especially like, oh, this is going to just be a nice little walk in the park, la, 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 la. I think she's making me slightly uncomfortable at the beginning. And to escape from that, well, in my head, this is how it works, is sort of go through the singing routine without the words, so the musicality of this little creature. And think, okay, that's not so terrifying. Um, I think this is going the right direction. <laughs> And it doesn't stop. So you've got continual access to this creature that's literally part of your soul that's talking to you and singing to you all the time. That, I and mean, that's just the first four lines. It's just, 
incredible to me that she packs so much in there. I've sort of said, I, I said that too. Um, yeah, she doesn't see the bird, but it's something indescribable almost that's within each of us, I suppose. Yeah, for me, there's, there's really something in that um, and never stops at all. The absolute surety that, uh, that this maintains and is always there. I love that about her work. It's not the words on the page that are difficult to read. She doesn't start spouting ancient Greek. She's using normal language and it's just the way she combines it and creates these images that I just absolutely love. I'm interested in how the poem came back to you. How, how did it come back? I think in that situation, one thing you finally have is time more than you can deal with and this is a terribly modern thing i basically i got fed up with just watching netflix and engaging on social media and that kind of thing and, and i sort of deliberately took a step back from that and i had um a couple of anthologies that had some emily dickinson in them and i found a couple on um on my Kindle, and I just randomly started somewhere with reading. Wonderful. As I said, like me, it's quite often it's a, a kind of emotional response to something. It either speaks to me or it doesn't, and um, and this one did. So yeah, I I suppose that makes it doubly more doubly positive for me in that now I'm back in the world of creative language in a way that's much more positive. But also now, while I have up days and down days, I've decided it's okay to have time where I'm just quiet and reading and trying to properly look under the cover of something and think about it. And that's and that's something that came directly from the experience of sitting there in the chemo ward with my Kindle. But how brilliant that you somehow in that context knew that was what you needed and found your route to it. I, I like to think it was always there. Sure. This creative side, more the sort of passionate side of me. I think 20 years of just responding to deadlines and client needs. And then when I was ill, that was suddenly not there. I sort of got to the point with my legal career where where I was sort of thinking whether I wanted to go back to that or whether I wanted to move forward into a different direction um, and okay some of it has not been of my choosing and that's something else in this in this piece is you know the little bird she doesn't say the little bird has got any choice about where it's going it's designed to survive this storm so saw must be the storm that could have bashed the little bird it kept so many warm and the the little bird is getting blown around all over the place and it doesn't necessarily have a clear course. And that's, and that's kind of okay <laughs> because you're not alone. The bird isn't actually alone. We are with the bird and the bird's with us. Can I ask you what the last stanza means for you or what, what resonates particularly strong, strongly for you about the last stanza 
which is which is extraordinary where she takes it to where it starts with this very inhospitable you're in Tillis land and on the strangest sea you're in this really weird place and it's freezing cold and that I respond to that a lot um, and the extremity never in extremity and extremity is with capital E she does this a lot <laughs> extremity is not just a word it's a it's a force of nature that kind of is battling against you and there's you and there's hope you know you're asking a lot of hope to keep with you and to keep singing the amazing thing is that you're not being asked for anything but it's literally life and death and the same for this little bird being bashed around but you're not being asked a crumb and a crumb is a tiny little morsel of something so you've got this massive concept of extremity and then you've got this tiny tiny little crumb and you're not even being asked to give back so yeah it's she she does go to the extremes and maybe that's what i respond to the most in her work is she doesn't shy away from hard things and then tiny tiny little things at the other extreme and the contrast i just find exciting yeah mm. yeah you know I, I i really i thank emily dickinson for for staying with me all these years because it's you know it's okay to feel extreme things and to to suffer and to to go through extraordinary things and that's okay the extremity of life sometimes is okay and hope's there and it never goes away it keeps singing and it never an extremity asks a crumb of me. It's a constant. Emily Dickinson. Hope is the thing with feathers. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard, and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea. Yet never, in extremity, it asked a crumb of me. That was Fiona with the gift reading at the end there. And, uh, of course, massive thanks to Lucy for allowing us to use the conversation. Brilliant, Michael. I just absolutely loved listening back to that and indeed remember very well the power of that experience of being with Lucy even across the distance of uh, miles and through the screen of, of Zoom, but how powerful it was to to hear her story and to be with her with that poem. And I think it really honours the strength of Emily Dickinson's work because she had these very, it's very such a compact form. 
these short, relatively short lines, short stanzas, kind of small blocks of poem, which were absolutely just blow you out the water somehow each time. And I was talking to Roy McFarlane the other day and he gave me this brilliant quote from Emily Dickinson, which was that she said, I know nothing in the world that has as much power as a word. Sometimes I write one and I look at it until it begins to shine. Wow, that's amazing. Mm. What a terrific quote. Mm. Yeah, it's such a such a great celebration of the of the condensed nature of the of the strong short poem form. And and such a heartfelt connection at a time of such kind of extreme need, I suppose, you know. So Michael, we probably shouldn't hang around too long. It's very hot and you're in your um recording booth surrounded by soft materials I'm sure you need to get out and I'm sure our listeners have got better things to do than listen to us having a good old ramble I did think it was just worth saying and you know it's that sort of August month so I'm sure people have got lots of books by them somewhere getting some time to read I've got a fantastic new book I've just been given by my mum which is a biography mm. of Elizabeth Bishop so I'm really looking forward to that but yeah we're going to be busy actually we need to get on We've got things to do because there'll be National Poetry Day before we know it. And all the busyness of the literature festival season that comes in September, October time. And I know that lots of our friends in those fabulous organisations who bring poetry to people in all sorts of ways and usually enjoy doing that person to person with cups of tea and all the beauty of the in-person moment, are working really hard to develop the online versions of things where they need to. So I'm sure there's going to be lots to look forward to in that season and we'll be back with some more news of what we're up to next month. We will indeed. Uh, if you like what we do, please give us a share and a retweet and a rating on iTunes, all of that stuff really makes a difference. We'll be back with you next month with more Poems as Friends. Until then, thank you for listening. Thank you.